G'day, my name is Zach, for those who don't know. Some of you flew here, I grew here. Been here for 25 years at this church. I just want to thank Nathan, John and Shabu for giving me the opportunity and the privilege of preparing this message for you. And they're probably thinking now, what have we done? But I'm excited. Who else is excited? I'm excited for what the Lord has led me to over these past six months. I've got some of my posse here supporting me. Got my roommate here with his wife and who is with child. Got my brother. Got my captain on my soccer team, Liam, cheering me on. And I've got my beautiful family. So feel free to verbally respond if you agree with something that I'm saying. It will encourage me and it will help shake some of my nerves. So today we're going to be looking at Philemon. Um, So open up your Bibles to Philemon chapter 1. If you need a copy of the Bible, there is one over here on my right. Um, And as you're trying to find Philemon in your Bible, you'll probably struggle because... You may have never opened it before. It could have, the pages could have potentially been stuck together. The book is that small. But anyway, let's get into it. And starting at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. And Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let's just quickly pray. Dear Lord Jesus and our Heavenly Father, we come before you now and ask that you open up the eyes of our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, I'd just like to do a quick exercise. I'd like to see a show of hands. Firstly, put up your hands if you identify yourself as a sinner. Okay, thank you. Now put up your hands if you identify yourself as a saint. Okay, great. This will all make sense soon. I will just bring up the first slide. All right, saints or sinners? Now, when we look at Paul's letter to Philemon, Paul writes in a way that shows us that he thinks Philemon is pretty good and is doing a pretty good job. He addresses him as a dear friend and co-worker. He gives him a colossal pat on the back for the great work he is doing with the saints, and he applauds him on his love towards Jesus and the saints. But who are the saints? And when we think of the saints, you're probably thinking of the likes of a Mother Teresa, 
possibly the AFL Football Club, who haven't really been doing too well in the last 100 years. Um, I think they've won one premiership. I could be wrong. It might be none at all. (laughs) But um, you could also be thinking of the likes of a Nelson Mandela and so on. But how often do you look at your brother, sister, mother, father, daughter or friends that are all Christians and think of them as saints? Or how often do you look in the mirror at yourself and think, yeah, I'm a saint? We rarely put Christians as a whole or individuals into this category. We don't often consider ourselves as saints. We have created a standard that you have to obtain the status of being a saint. And I would like to make a bold statement here this morning. And I want to suggest that one of the biggest lies and strongholds that Satan has within our church these days is attacking and deceiving the believer's identity. How can we be effective for the kingdom of God when we don't even know who we are? Scripturally speaking, the saints are the body of Christ, the Christians, the church. All Christians are considered saints. All Christians are saints, and at the same time are called to be saints. And this is how Paul is addressing the Christians here in verse 4 to 7. So let's just zoom in on those verses and have a quick look. He also addresses Christians in this way in most of the openings of his letters. We obtain the status as saints as soon as we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour and we receive his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is joined with our spirit. We are justified freely by his grace. Our sins are atoned for by Jesus on the cross. There is nothing that needs to be done to become a saint after we accept Christ. So why do we so rarely address ourselves as Paul does? Rather, we will most often identify ourselves as sinners. So this morning I want to address three things that are shown throughout the book of Philemon that can change radically how we live our lives as Christians. So if we just bring up the next slide. Thanks, Shibu. So what does it say here? Firstly, why does God address us as saints when clearly we still sin? Secondly, I want to explore the good things that are in us, the saints. And thirdly, Based on our identity in Christ and seeing ourselves as saints rather than sinners, I want to then help us see our fellow brothers and sisters in this new light. So last year we received a phone call from an agency working alongside the ATO. They were helping small businesses with getting incentives from the government. Anyway, to spare the details, it all sounded very legit. They wanted to come to our house for a meeting so we could look into getting these tax incentives. We're always a bit hesitant with these sort of things. Um, 
but we went ahead and we set up the meeting. After the phone call, both my wife and I were very unsettled, so we called our accountant. It turned out to be a scam. These people use your details to steal your identity. Praise God that they didn't turn up for the meeting and we didn't have to give over all our details for them to take it any further. Satan is in the business of scamming. He's trying to scam us all the time. He schemes and scams in subtle ways, even in ways that may even appear spiritual. So I just want to look at a couple of verses just to sort of unpack this a little bit. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, otherwise I'm going to have it up on the screen. And starting in verse 14. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And then it spoke about similar in John 10.10. So feel free to turn to there, but it's also up on the screen. Just reading verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. One thing the devil loves attacking is marriages. As every married person knows, there comes a time when you will disagree. It happens at times when you're both tired, stressed, frustrated, and your guards are down. You're thinking, what just happened? One minute we were blissfully in love, and the next minute we're in a raging argument. It's a combination of the devil, this corrupt world we live in, and a pinch of our own selfishness. Next minute, you've got yourself an argument. The perfect concoction. I couldn't at this moment speak more highly of my beautiful wife. She is a loving mother and an amazing wife to me, and I thank God that he has given her the ability to love me and... I love her very much. Love you, Lou. And we have found lately, when we argue, the sooner we realize that this is not who we are anymore. This fighting that we have taken place in is not our true identity. That we are actually sons and daughters of the king. We can forgive, forget, and move on. We can freely give grace as our Heavenly Father has given us grace. So I'll just bring up the next slide. And this is verses 4 to 7, where Paul is commending Philemon on his faith, on his identity, and who he is in Christ. And how this has had an effect on all of those around him. Paul himself has even received comfort and joy from Philemon's love. 
and the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon's faith. But Satan is in the business of identity theft. He's constantly stealing truths of how God thinks of us, of how God loves us. The devil is constantly filling our heads with lies that attack our identity. Paul refers to believers in all his letters as either saints, brothers in Christ, or children of God. So I wouldn't mind now doing a short comparison of what the Bible has to say about sinners and what the Bible has to say about saints. Because I've found it instrumental in my own personal transformation with not only helping me to fight sin in my own life, but to give me an awareness of how much God loves me. The renewing of our minds happens by the washing over of the word of God over our lives. Speaking truths often over ourselves so that when lies are spoken of by the world or by the devil, we can quickly decipher between truths and lies. So, if we just have a look up at the screen, you'll notice the two columns. You've got all the things relating to a sinner on the left and all the points relating to a saint on the right. So we'll just go through them now. So a sinner is born with a sinful nature. When you become a saint, you become a partaker of the divine nature. As a sinner, you can live only by the flesh. When you become a saint, you have the potential to live by the Spirit. When you are a sinner, you are in spiritual death. When you become a saint, you have spiritual life. Uh, when you are a sinner, you are under the curse of sin. When you become a saint, you are redeemed by grace. When you are a sinner, you are a child of wrath. When you become a saint, you become a child of God. When you are a sinner, you are a stranger to God. And when you are a saint, you become fellow heirs with Christ and you are loved by God. So are we saints or are we sinners? The devil will preach condemnation and lies to us all day long. You may have heard things in your own head or from the world, for example. You're not good enough. How can you call yourself a Christian? I thought you loved God. You promised God that you wouldn't do that again. But here we are. He tries to make us focus on our own performance and on how much we love God. But the whole main point of the gospel is God showing his love towards us. If we just take it to the next slide, I've got Ephesians 2.4 up there. So let's just read that now together. This is a beautiful passage that talks about God's love for us. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Is everyone catching the flavor of this? I'm not sure if you are aware of the importance, but we are in a spiritual war that wages for our souls. And I might just add here that I'm not claiming as Christians that we have entered sinless perfection. This does not give us a license to sin or to abuse grace. Hashtag disclaimer. But let's look at a couple of scenarios. Picture yourself. Picture yourself at the start of every day. Let's say you wake up feeling like a sinner, feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling condemnation, feeling like God is frustrated with you, feeling like he's just up there screwing his face up because you keep stuffing up. And then feeling like it's now your job to spend the rest of the day trying to earn back his love and favor. This was my life for 10 years. It's a massive struggle and it's a massive burden. So let's compare that with waking up feeling like a saint. Someone who God loves. Someone whose sins have been fully paid. A beloved child of God with an inheritance that can never fade. Feeling the love of God gushing towards you like a mighty waterfall. And being able to see God as Father. And this is my life now. God's steadfast love for us. It's constant. It doesn't rely on us. We did not earn his love So what makes you think that we can lose this love? If you now have a look at the next slide, I've just got up there Romans 8.38. And we'll just read this because this will sort of deal with any doubt that you have that you can be separated from God's love. So let's read it. Romans 8.38. No, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are sons and daughters of the King. He has adopted us. He has adopted us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The reason you can be so confident that God loves you is not actually even based on you, because it's based on Christ in you. The moment you decide to follow Christ, he moves into your heart. His Holy Spirit is joined with your spirit, 
allowing God to love you and allowing you to love God. So we just have to pull up the next slide. We're going to start talking about some of the good things that Paul is referring to in his letter to Philemon. And that is mainly in verse 6. Philemon 1.6 And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So the word good here has so much more in it than it appears at first. When we see the word good or use it these days, it's almost used as a sort of mediocre description. Like I'll give you an example. You'll come home from work and your wife will say, how was your day? And you just respond, yeah, good. When really you're thinking, it was a shocking day, but I just couldn't be bothered explaining to you all the details. When God made the world, he saw that he had made it and he said that it was good. So God uses this word good as a description for the world. And when I look outside and I see the mountains and the seas and I see the birds and the animals and mankind, I think it's amazing. And when you look up at night on a clear night and you see the stars, I think it's brilliant. (laughs) So we may have to look at the Greek word of good here in Philemon just to get a bit of a flavour of what the word is actually means. So I'll just quickly flick over there now, the next slide. Let's look at the Greek for the word good here in Philemon, verse 6. So the word for good is agathos, which means inherently or intrinsically good, as to the believer. Agathos describes what originates from God and is empowered by him in their life through faith. So let's put that back into the verse for a second. Next slide, please. So looking at verse 6 again. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us that originates from God and is empowered by him in their life through faith for the sake of Christ. So this slide here is a snapshot of some of the good things. So on here, some of the phrases that you might see in the Bible that actually describe the saints. Let's just go through a couple. We are seated. We have a new mind. We have faith. We are loved. We have been transformed. We are in Christ. We have been set free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are heirs. We have been cleansed. We have eternal life. These are just a couple of the things. There's many more. We could go on. But I just wanted to give you a bit of a snapshot of all the good things 
that are in us for the sake of Christ. But Paul here is praying that through the sharing of Philemon's faith, that it may become effective for the full knowledge of these things. So most of us know these words and phrases, but how often do we believe them as being true of us? Being true of us as saints and children of God. Let's just flick over to verse 10 in Philemon, and we will continue. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So we're not exactly told the details about the conflict that took place between Philemon and Onesimus, but we do know that Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And we do know that he's actually a runaway slave because Paul is requesting Philemon to take Onesimus back. So in these Roman times when Paul wrote this, slavery was a massive part of the economy and was so for the next couple of thousand years. And it's only really recently been totally abolished in our time. I want to quickly look at three of the things that are in us that will help us to understand why it is that Paul is requesting Philemon to take back his slave Onesimus. So these main three things are righteousness, peace and joy. So I just want you to flip over to Romans 14, chapter 17 for me. And I just want to have a look at this passage because it, it will help us to unpack these three key good things that are in us. So Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue for what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. When Christ prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is actually a picture of that. When we understand the righteousness that has been given to us, it can begin to be empowered in our life. And a part of this righteousness is the amazing transaction that took place. Jesus took our sin on the cross and he gave us his righteousness. When we understand the peace of Christ in our hearts, it can begin to be empowered in our life. When we are, when we are in a storm in the world, we are at peace in our hearts. When we understand the joy of the Holy Spirit that is in us, it can begin to be empowered in our lives so that no matter what circumstance you might find yourself in, no matter who has wronged you, we can look past that and we can begin to pursue peace and unity.
having this understanding of I'm already righteous allows me to stop striving in my own strength and to rest and rely on Christ powerfully working in me to bring about his calling in my life. Becoming aware of his peace allows me to be calm in any storm, in any trouble, any persecution that comes along. We can in fact rest in the knowledge that we are his children. And not even death can separate us from his love. Becoming aware of the joy that is already in us makes us strong. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When we rest in his joy, the barrenness of the world and the difficult situations we find ourselves in fade away because we have a supernatural understanding of eternal life. We're only here on earth for a moment and we will be with our Heavenly Father forever. So let's just flick on to the next slide and we'll continue reading in Philemon back to verse 12. So as we said before, Onesimus was a runaway slave. It's understandable that he might run away because slaves in this day, in the Roman times, were treated like dirt. You were either sold into slavery or you were born into it. And both of these are horrific options. Paul is explaining to Philemon that Onesimus has changed. When he says, whose father I'd become in my imprisonment, he's actually meaning that Onesimus has been born again. He is now a believer. He is now a saint. And this part's actually quite humorous, whether you find it funny or not. It it says, formerly he was useless to you, now he is indeed useful to me and to you. And the reason why this is so funny is because the name Onesimus actually means useful. And God has a massive sense of humor. And he will do some funny things in your life and you'll praise him. And it's just good. It's good being a Christian. We'll just keep reading from verse 12 down to 15. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. So Paul is pleading with Philemon here to have Onesimus back as a slave. He's appealing to him based on the fact that Philemon is a saint and now Onesimus is also a saint. He is appealing to him on his new identity that he has in Christ and he's asking Philemon to treat Onesimus according to his new identity in Christ. So in these Roman times when the book was set In a time where slaves had no rights at all, the Roman law regarded slaves as just mere objects. They were not treated as humans. They were just treated as items to be sold like any other product. 
Roman slaves were subject to the will of their masters, against whom they had no protection or rights. The offences of slaves were punished with severity and frequently the utmost of barbarity. Terrible punishments were devised where slaves were crushed to death or they had their hands, ears, feet, nose and lips cut off and their eyes cut out. Under the Roman Republic, the owners of slaves were allowed to inflict whatever treatment or punishment they wanted on a slave. No injury or punishment inflicted by an owner was a crime. It was not illegal to kill a mere slave. They were not perceived as people. They were perceived as commodities. Philemon would have been well within his rights to severely punish Onesimus for his crimes. But Paul is asking Philemon to freely show Onesimus grace, as he has been shown grace. He is also asking him to take him back as a brother in the Lord. And it's actually interesting that the, the form of punishment, the most common form of punishment for a runaway slave, was death by crucifixion, which is the same way in which our Saviour was killed on the cross. So Paul here is appealing to Philemon. He is appealing to him based on his new identity, and he's also appealing to him, appealing to his heart. So let's have a look at verses 16 down to 20. It's up on the screen here if you want to have a look. No longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even of your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is in full understanding of his own position in Christ. His knowledge of his righteousness, joy and peace in God allow him to be supernaturally generous without hesitation. He's taken on Onesimus and his debt to Philemon as if it were his own. You may not think of slavery these days as something that we can relate to or something that's even relevant because it's been outlawed. In our times. But can I tell you something about slavery? That all of us are slaves. There are two kinds of slaves, and you're either one or the other. You can either be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness. If you haven't accepted Christ into your heart, you are a slave to sin. You can only sin. But if you are a born-again follower of Jesus, you are now a slave of righteousness. Sin and death no longer has dominion over you. It is no longer your master. We have a new master, and his name is Jesus Christ. But he is a different kind of master. When we run away, he is waiting there with open arms to take us back. 
with not a drop of condemnation, but with open arms of love. Our union that we have with Christ is what determines the union we have with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a conflict with someone, you can easily pardon them and freely give them grace, just as Paul has done to Onesimus by giving him grace, and is asking Philemon to give Onesimus that same grace. This is an important principle to grasp because in doing this, we are outwardly displaying the love of Christ in us. Others will see it. It's not a logical thing to do. In fact, it's very uncommon to practice to be forgiving in this way. But Christ loves us. If you want to just look at the screen for a second, I've just pulled up two verses. The first one's Psalm 103, verse 10. And I'll just read that now. So it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So based on your union with Christ and based on your new creation identity, we are to treat the Onesimus in our lives based on their new identity, based on their union with Christ. This is the newfound union that we share. And based on this example, people will know we belong to Christ. So we'll just have a look at the other verse there, which is John thirteen thirty-five, And I'll read that too. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a supernatural love displayed on the cross by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He has given us this love so that we can love one another. By resting in the reality of God's love for us, we are able to love one another. This is the short of it. Rest in the love God has for you. Love him and love one another. I'll just finish off the reading of Philemon. as verses 21 to 25. So if you want to turn there now, it's not actually, I don't have a slide of it, but turn there in your Bibles and I'll just read it. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Ristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I'm just going to pray now 
that God speaks to you on behalf of what we have spoken on today. Thank you for listening. We're going to finish off with a song. Use this as an opportunity to respond to God based on what he has taught us all this morning. All the best and God bless. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross for us. We thank you so much the love that you had towards us. We thank you the grace that you give as a gift and the faith that you give as a gift. And we thank you so much for how you love us. Please open up the eyes of our hearts to be able to perceive and understand your beautiful scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.